Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there, and verse 1 through 12. We'll get there in just a second, but it's all right. I'd like to introduce my family to you just real quick because uh, they weren't able to come with me. There's quite a bit of us. I have six kids, and uh, I'll, I'll go through it real fast, all right? That's my wife beside me there, Lynette. We've been married for over 30 years. And then our oldest daughter's on the far right, Anna, and she and her husband, they were missionaries in China for two years and recently come back to work with refugees here in North America. And then on the far left is Shelly. She's our second oldest. She's a school teacher, her husband. And then uh, Taylor in the top right is our son. He's a junior in college out in California, a California Baptist. Then God bless us with a whole second phase of kids, if you will, a whole second shift <laughs> the very first child we adopted was uh, Libby, and she's from China. She's right in front of me. We adopted Libby when she was one. They found her in a in a box outside of a police station when she was born, and we got her when she's one. She's now 15, and she's really an angel on this earth. And then there's Michael Lynn. We adopted Michael Lynn when she was three, and she's now 13. And she's from Ethiopia, and so uh, she's... Uh, she's uh, uh, Quite the bossy one. She, uh, I'm trying to think of how the best to say it. Um, but have you ever watched Sanford and Son? You ever watched Sanford and Son? All right. We adopted Aunt Esther. All right. And, and so she comes in. If you never watched that show, she, we moved to Atlanta and, uh, uh, she went to our neighbor's house and put her hand on her hip and said, you folks have issues. And, uh, they thought it was funny. They said, what do you mean, sweetheart? And she says, your house is a mess. You have issues. And so, like, oh my word. So, uh, the neighbor thought it was funny, but we had to sit her down and say, look, sweetheart, we just moved here and uh, we're trying to make friends and you're not helping. All right. So she's something, something else. And then uh, J.M. is uh, right, right by my wife, uh, John Michael, but he goes by J.M. He's from the Philippines and we adopted J.M. when he was 12 and he's now 18. And so it's real funny when you see our family come into a restaurant um, they really, people never know really what to say. Like, how did that happen? You know, you have six kids from four different countries, uh, four different countries. And typically they'll say, well, bless your heart. You know, I know what that means. That means better you than me. That's what that means. <laughs> but I say, there's no need to bless my heart. I'm just very competitive. And uh, no, I mean, think about it. Six kids, four different countries. When we watch the Olympics... We win, all right? <laughs> but interesting thing, when J.M., I love to tell a story about when J.M., we went to pick him up in Manila, and uh, uh, J.M. was, uh, they found J.M. when he was five, wandering the streets, uh, sleeping in the back of a pickup truck, and they took him back to the orphanage at five, and so we got him when he was 12, so he'd been at the orphanage for seven years. And they had taught him some English, uh, but they said, now look, when... Uh, uh, when you take him back to the hotel, be very careful with him because he's not used to hot water. So we don't have hot water here at the orphanage. I know they have it in Manila, but not there in the orphanage. And he said he's basically had sink baths all of his life. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what hot water feels like. So just be very careful with him so he didn't harm himself. So we go back. Can you imagine you're 12 years old? You just got adopted uh, from this couple from the States. We go back to a hotel. First night in a hotel. You know, he's bouncing on the bed. He's loving it. And then it comes time for bath time. And so I take him and I say, Jake, come here. I want to show you something. So I go into the bathroom. I turn the water on lukewarm. And I said, let me have your hand, buddy. And I took his hand and I put his hand underneath the water, lukewarm. And then I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until 
he began to feel hot water for the very first time. I'll never forget the look of those big brown Filipino eyes when he says, that is wonderful. And I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. Now, I said, I'm going to go in there. You take off your clothes and hop in the shower. He said, shower, what's a shower? And I just wasn't thinking. You know, I mean, they had taught him English, but some things don't translate when you've never had a shower or didn't know what a shower was. And so I had to explain to him what a shower was. Have you ever tried to explain to someone what a shower is? It's not that easy. It's like, it's water from heaven. You know, you're going to love it. It's just those things you forget. Because like for the first time we went out to eat, first time we went out to eat, I ordered for him. And I said, just bring him some chicken fingers. <laughs> He's like, no! I don't eat chicken fingers. And I said, no, 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 son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why do they call them that? And I said, you know, I don't know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce and eat them. Or I don't know. You can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings. I mean, I mean, it's always an explanation. There's an international conflict at our home every night, all right? But it was amazing. He went in there, took the shower, and 45 minutes later, he comes out of the shower, shriveled up and smelling good and loving it. And it was something, he said, that really was wonderful. I said, it really is. You know what? Six years ago, six years later, he's still just as excited about hot water. Now, why? Because he knows what it's like not to have it. And the fact is, I went to bed that night thinking, how many 12-year-old boys would be that excited about hot water? Forget 12-year-old boys. How many people, period, would be that excited about hot water? Why? Because we're spoiled to death. We're spoiled rotten. Would you not agree? We are spoiled. Hey, son, what's your name? Yeah. Benjamin? Benjamin? All right, sorry to wake you up, Benjamin. Hey, Benjamin, I want to... <laughs> I'm teasing with you, Benjamin. Hey, Benjamin, uh, I picked you because you look like the cleanest one in that section. All right? <laughs> now, Benjamin, you had, a, you had a shower in the last couple of days? Yeah, hey, good deal. We're, we're all excited about that. All right. Benjamin, now be just straight up honest with me, all right? Just honest. I, I want an honest answer here. When you... Took that shower. Did you go like, yes, hot water? You didn't do that. You see, folks, Benjamin is what's wrong with America. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm teasing with you, sort of, sort of. The, the fact is, Benjamin didn't do it, neither did I, nobody. Very few of us did that because we take things for granted. We get used to certain things. Most of you weren't thinking or hoping that you get to eat tonight. It's just a matter of what you're going to eat. You know, worry about where you're going to lay your head. It's just what time you're actually going to get there to lay it. it we, we get so spoiled. And then when it comes to churches, it's the same thing. I'm at the North American Mission Board, and what we do is we come alongside churches like the ones that are represented here. And because churches plant churches, we come alongside to help them plant churches. Our goal is to plant 1,200 churches a year. That's 100 a month. That's every Sunday you go to worship, there are 20 to 25 churches being planted somewhere in North America. Now, often you say, people will say, well, there really need to be that many we really need more churches. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of churches. Well, the problem is you're thinking like uh, people often think of water. You, you don't see it as a need because you think it's like it is here everywhere else. But that's not the case. 
The majority of Southern Baptists are in the SEC and the ACC. It's the other conferences that are going to hell, and we have got to reach them. But Mississippi is the, is the most churched state in all of North America. There is one Southern Baptist church, they're going to throw a slide up, for every 1,392 people. One Southern Baptist church for every 1,392. Now, missiologists say that you need one church for every 2,000 people. And they're talking about uh, an evangelical church that believes that Jesus died, rose again uh, for our sins. That's one Southern Baptist for every 1,392. So what's it like in Virginia? Well, in Virginia, there's one for every 4,200. So there's still a need in pockets in Virginia. There's still a need for more churches, but we don't have as many per capita as there are in Mississippi. But let's just say, compare it to something, say, like New York. In New York, there would be, or New Jersey, next one, there you go, is uh, one church for every 64,000 people. And then you, you compare that to, say, Canada. And in Canada, there's one for every 103,000 people. Did you know that there are, you can drive for three hours in Canada and never drive by another even, evangelical church? Three hours. So it's an incredible, incredible need. So I just want to say thank you. I know this church just got back from Baltimore and uh, invest in that church plant there. And as Brother Ken mentioned, at the very end, we're going to have an offering, but it is not going to be for me. All right? We're going, that offering is going to go to the church planter in Baltimore that they just got back from uh, uh, Blessing. So we're going, to, we're going to invest in him. It's incredibly hard work. It's incredibly hard. It's like plowing concrete, going and, and starting a church in a place like Baltimore or Seattle or San Francisco. But God uses it in an incredible way. I'm so thankful that there's a guy by the name of Paul and a guy by the name of Barnabas that were sent out. That's the reason we call it Send Baltimore. They were sent out uh, to go and plant churches and went back and checked on those churches. And we're a result of that today because someone planted a church that 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 planted this church that goes on and then just you see how it just continues to go on these churches didn't just show up someone planted it years and years ago well I want you to look in Mark chapter 2 we're going to look at a passage and tonight I want you um I keep coming down here I like to be real close is that okay I don't know if brother Kelly's not here so what does it matter right <laughs> I think I was Pentecostal we had last night uh but In Mark chapter 2, it talks about being on mission. There's some guys in this I want us to focus on because sometimes we we read through this passage and we we miss a very critical part um, uh, in it. And I want to focus on these some four men and what they did to bring their friend to Jesus. The fact is, we live in a world where the majority of people do not know Christ. You live in a city. Or the majority of the people do not know Christ. You're probably a member of a church where the majority of the people have not shared their faith in the last week. It's all about having gospel conversations. And my point tonight is simply that every one of us are on mission. I'm thankful that you celebrate missions. Missions, missionaries are across the world and missionaries in North America. I'm thankful that you celebrate and you give to missions. But I want you to see that God has called each one of us to be on mission. 
God has placed you here to do more than draw a breath and draw a salary. He placed you here for a purpose. To use you to impact others, to be an instrument of His. But so often, um, when it comes to being on mission, we look at someone else trying to fulfill that role. Well, let's look, go back to Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. All right? Let's, uh, let's just begin to read through that. And again, he entered Capernaum, he being Jesus, after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, I love that part. They're sandwiched in there. They're packed in. Overflow is overflowing. You can't get anyone else in uh, this house that he's in. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which their paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, now remember, remember that part, we're going to come back to it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. I always get a kick out of this verse because every church I ever pastored um, had people who would think to themselves and uh, cross their arms and they were thinking to themselves. You know, uh, it's amazing. I had many people in my church that felt like criticism was a spiritual gift. I don't know what it was. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason these things in your heart? Basically, he knows what they're thinking. He says, look, I know what you're thinking. And why do you think those things? And he goes on to explain, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has a power on earth to forgive sins. He said, look, what you need to understand is I have the power to forgive sins. Now I'm going to heal this guy. I'm going to heal him. But that's only going to last temporarily. The the paralytic is healed and eventually dies. But he says, what's most important is that he has forgiveness of sins. That I have the power to forgive sins. You're getting focused on the wrong thing. But then he goes on to say, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Hey, you say that last phrase with me? We never saw anything like this. Alright, that was incredibly boring. Let's do it again. Alright? You look like you're in a trance. Alright? We never saw anything like this. Alright, now Mark is not talking about the eclipse here. He's all right. He's talking about the experience they had in the service. We've never seen anything like this before. That's what they were saying. Now, I love the gospel of Mark. Of all the, the gospels, Mark is my favorite. And it's, man, I, because I, I'm convinced that Mark has an attention disorder. And, and I can identify with that. Mark, I, I'm convinced, does. Because if you read the gospel of Mark, you'll see he'll go for 8 to 10 verses and then boom, he changes the subject. Just... Just like that. He'll go another five or six verses and boom, he changes the subject. I mean, he just jumps around and Mark doesn't do details. 
No, 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 no. Mark, he flies at 30,000 feet. If you want details, you've got to go to Luke or John or Matthew. You get a lot more details, but Mark, he's at 30,000 feet. Now, again, I like that because that's a lot of the way that I am. My wife gets so frustrated with me. Uh, because of that, she'll say, hey, does so-and-so have a baby? And I said, yeah, they had their baby. And she said, boy or girl? And I was like, it's a baby. <laughs> what they name it? It's a baby, all right? What else do you need to know? It's going to gain weight. Who cares what it starts out at? You know what I mean? It's just Needless details, you know? But Mark does that. And it's, what's funny is I get the biggest kick out of this story. If you read this story... It's hilarious if you think about all the things he just does not fill in that obviously happened. We're not adding anything to Scripture here. I'm just saying that certain things had to happen for this to happen. Let me give you an example, and let's go back and look at the story again. All right? So we read through it. Let's rewind and start back at the first. It says that Jesus was in the house. The place was packed. And he was doing what? Preaching the word to them. But meanwhile, on the other side of town, there's at least one guy. We know there has to be at least one. Mark doesn't tell us exactly how it all happened because he doesn't do details. But at least one guy had an idea. One guy had an idea and says, you know, hey, I heard Jesus in town. And I've heard what Jesus has done in other towns and cities. And I've heard that he's healed people and he's changed people's lives and Hey, you know our friend? I'm sure he probably called the friend by name. Mark doesn't because he doesn't do details. But I'm sure he called the friend by name and says, Hey, you know our friend? Hey, I'm, I'm convinced if we go pick up our friend and take him to where Jesus is, I'm convinced Jesus can heal him and change his life. What do you think? You in? Okay, you in? You in? We know we at least asked three other people because Mark says they came being carried by four men. Okay, so these four men, I'm thankful for these guys. You don't know their name. I don't know their name. Their names are never listed. I'm thankful for that. But they go, they're inconvenienced. They go, they pick him up at the house and they carry him. And that's when they enter the story. Here they come carrying him and they get there. And then here's the part I think that's funny too. Mark says they get there. There's no more room. So they put him up on the roof. They dig a hole in the roof. They lower him down to where Jesus is and Jesus heals him. Mark acts like this happens every Sunday. I mean, there it is in the bulletin. Brother Andrew's going to sing two, ver- two, two songs, do a special. Brother Kelly's going to preach. We're going to dig a hole in the roof and then we're going to have an invitation. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not exact. It's not in the bulletin here. So what happens? They get there. Again, let's just think about what happened. Mark didn't add all the details, but this all had to have happened. They get there. The place is packed. Mark says they go to the roof. Whoa, 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 Mark, 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 back, 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 back. How did that happen? They had to have had a conversation. Someone had the idea. It wasn't just like, okay, it wasn't a manual. Go to church, no room, go to the roof. That wasn't a manual. No, they had a conversation. I'm sure they got a little huddle. All four of them, at least the four of them. Now, psychologists tell us that one out of every four people tend to be negative. 
Do not point. All right? But you know what I mean? Negative. Someone that's kind of like an Eeyore. You know what I mean? It's a bad day. Or, you know, it's going to rain. They just round down like Eeyore always did. I'm sure that's, we had one of the four probably was negative and probably says, I knew this wasn't a good idea. And we should have come to the evening service. You know, you can only imagine some of the different responses they came up with. But all we know is at least one of these guys, at least one, said, hey, 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 hey. I got an idea. You go, what? I got an idea. Well, what's your idea? All right. Now you're going to think I'm crazy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take him and we're going to put him on the roof. I can't help but think that that paralytic propped himself up at that moment and said, do what? He said, no, now trust us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you up on the roof and then we're going to look and kind of guess at where we think Jesus is. And then we're going to dig a hole a big hole, and we're going to lower you down to where Jesus is, and boom, Jesus is going to heal you. What do you think, fellas? I'm sure one of those four probably says, but we've, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> you know, I just love it when God does something that's not in the bulletin. You know, we get so used to certain things and doing church a certain way, Man, we get used to that in our traditions, but you go plant a church in Baltimore, you go plant a church in Seattle, you go across the sea. There's no such thing as, as being able to do things in an orderly way. You're just doing everything you can to rub sticks together to start a fire. It's not necessarily in a certain order. Hey, when I passed here, it was real funny. I had a, um, a guy, um, I'll just say Brother Bill. Brother Bill was always making sure everything went down by the bulletin. It all had to be just exactly by the bulletin. I'll never forget this. We had we had a couple of Sunday services when I right before I left there. We had about three, and um, between the second and the third service, the usher came up, Mr. Bill. He came up to me like this. He goes, "Hey, Pastor, we got a problem. We got a big problem. We got a big problem." I always hate that when they come between the services and say you got a big problem. Okay, what's the big problem, Bill? He goes, uh, "Over my right shoulder. Don't look now. Don't look now. Over my right shoulder. There's a guy back there." With a hat on. I said, you kidding me? He goes, no, he's got a hat on. What do you want me to do about it? I said, well, is it your hat? And he says, no. And I said, well, leave it alone. You going to do a citizen's arrest on the back pew? I mean, my word, just leave it alone. What's the big deal? Preach a sermon, we have an invitation, and sure enough, during the invitation, here comes the guy with the hat on, walking the aisle. Tears running down his cheeks. I meet him down front, put my hand in his, look him in the eye, and say, take your hat off. (laughs) I didn't say that. My point is this, sometimes what we try to make things, make things more important than they really are, 
Sometimes we get focused on things that are really not part of the mission. You say, well, they should have more. You know what? There's no, no scripture that says you've got to clean everybody up before they come in these doors. And our problem in North America, quite honestly, is our church has become more of a museum of saints than a hospital for sinners. I love these guys. You know why I love these guys? You don't know their name, but you know their heart. You know the passion of their heart. Hey, if you're a football coach, you want these four guys on your team. If you own a business, you want these four guys to work for you. Why? You don't know their name, but you know the passion of their heart. And the passion of their heart is whatever it takes. I love the fact it's whatever it takes. They were not going to take no for an answer. I'm here. I'm going to get our friend to Jesus. We're going to have to go to his house and pick him up. Well, hey, not a problem. We're going to do whatever it takes. May mean that we're going to be there late. Hey, there's no problem. We're going to do whatever it takes. They take him. Place is packed. Come back. No, 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 no. We didn't come here to get turned back. We're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. I love the tenacity of these guys. To do whatever it takes to do what? To get their friend to Jesus. We must have a sense of tenacity about ourselves. To get our friends to Jesus and to have gospel conversations. Let me ask you, when's the last time you had a gospel conversation? When is the last time you tried? We celebrate missions and it's easy sometimes to pray for people in another country. It's easy to pray for somebody who's planting a church in another city. But forgetting that today you were served by people in a restaurant, set by somebody on an airplane, Somebody came by your home for whatever reason. A male man, a male woman, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with. That we're just constantly, constantly watching. It was amazing today, driving, when I was driving that here, is people were outside their businesses. Everybody says, look at this guy. It was hilarious. It's like Superman's coming. And I, I thought they were looking for Rudolph and the reindeer. But I mean, go by the hospital. Literally, there are people in their scrubs outside the hospital. Just everybody was looking. I thought, you know, everybody's so anticipating. They're 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 looking with with such focus on something that just lasts a couple of minutes and it's over. I thought, man, what if the church was that focused on reaching lost? I love the story. Can you imagine? I said I had a attention disorder. Can you imagine being in that service? These four guys, he didn't tell us how they got him up there, but he got him up to the roof. They dig a hole. Now, can you imagine next, sorry, say next Sunday, the first Sunday Brother Kelly's back. All of a sudden during his sermon, I know how silver-tongued he is. I know, I mean, he's such a, he flows, you know, he's, he's, he's such a really good preacher. But I don't care how good he is. If someone starts digging a hole in that roof right there <laughs> and some dust begins to fall, I don't care how good the sermon is, I'm watching that. You know what I mean? 
And all of a sudden, a hand comes through that roof. And another hand comes, and a hole appears, and all of a sudden, four heads all looking down, you know. All right, Cletus, lower him down. You know, they lower him down. And Jesus heals him. You know, isn't it it amazing to you? Even Jesus dealt. Here is something that Jesus is healing a paralytic. And there are some people there that are ticked about it. I never understood that. Never understood how God could be blessing in such an incredible way and people be upset about it. I remember my very first church. My very first church voted me in seven to zero. Seven. You don't want to tick off very few people in a church with seven people. I'm saying you get voted out of there fast. You know what I mean? <laughs> One family difficulty and you're gone. You know, but seven people. But I had a lady named Miss Novella. Every church I ever pastored had a Miss Novella. She just changed her name. She's a mean, mean, mean woman. She's dead now. Heaven knows where she is, but she's a mean woman. All right, she was in our church. I'm serious. Uh, but Miss Novella always seemed to find the negative in anything. This one particular time we were having a, a service like this, and we, and we had brought in a, a preacher. I thought, well, she'll love this guy. And sure enough, he just nailed it. I mean, he did an incredible job. And, and I was at the back door, and everybody's passing by. And here comes Miss Novella thinking, she can't say anything negative. She can't say anything negative tonight. There was nothing negative. We had people saved. We had a real preacher. I mean, it was, it was great, you know? I said, hey, Miss Novella. And she said, hey. I said, great night, wasn't it? She said, I guess so. But the flags are on the wrong side. I went, do what? And we had an American flag. And yeah, just like you do. And somehow during vacation Bible school or something, the flags had got turned on the wrong side. And she said, the flags are on the wrong side. It disturbs worship when the flags are on the wrong side. And I had just gotten out of seminary, didn't have that much experience, and I just instinctively said, Miss Novella, who gives a rip? At <laughs> least had people say for crying out loud, and you worried about, if the flags are on the wrong side, go move them. <laughs> My point, again, we just get so distracted on things that are not that important, and we focused on the minors, and we, we, we need to major on what matters most to, to Jesus and people come to know Him. I love this. And then what happens? Paralytics healed. <laughs> what does Mark tell him to do? Mark says, hey, hey, fella, take your mat and go home. And he says, all right. I mean, can you imagine? Mark ends it. I mean, that is it. They left there saying, we've never seen anything like this before. But that's how Mark ends it. I thought that was funny. I mean, can you imagine the fact that guy's a paralytic? He's healed. He goes home with his mat under his arm. You think he wanders in there saying, hey, what's for dinner? I mean, no. His entire life has been changed. There's no telling what happened. I can't imagine. I can't even imagine him walking home. I mean, I'm sure he began to skip and began to run and perhaps even doing a little Baptist dance jig all the way home and get home. And can you imagine what his family must have said when he got there? Like, what happened to you? 
What happened? What happened to you? And again, none of this, Mark doesn't cover any of this. I can't wait to interview some of the guys who were there when we get to heaven. But I, I'm sure it had to go down something like the blind man did. When the blind man says, you know, I don't understand it all. All I know is I once was blind and now I see and Jesus did it. I once was blind, now I see and Jesus did it. I'm sure paralytic. Hey, once couldn't walk, now I can. The only difference was that Jesus made the difference. Look, never underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus and the fact that he shed it on the cross for every person you know and every ornery, mean person that you know, his blood covers the sin. But we must love him enough to understand that we are on mission. A couple months ago, I went to Cuba. Now, the reason I went to Cuba... He's like, I thought it was a North America mission board in Cuba. I realize it's not in the North in North America. But um, several years ago, there was a lady by the name of Annie Armstrong. Annie Armstrong went throughout Cuba and she purchased different facilities and turned them into churches. The largest church in Cuba, Calvary Church, is in Havana, right by the Capitol building. I was there. It has a it's an old theater that she purchased for about thirty thousand dollars and turned it into a church. They're in hundreds now, and it has two different balconies, tiered balconies. And they had the Cuba National Baptist Convention there at that Calvary Church. And, and it's just sweet seeing those pastors all parade in there. I get chills telling about it all the time. There, there is a church planning movement that's happening in Cuba. And not a lot of information flows out of there, so you don't hear a lot about it. But it's pretty incredible. When I asked the pastors, I said, hey, tell me, tell me what all God is doing here. He goes, It's incredible. He said, God has done something special. He said, years ago. And he was, this is back when I was there. It was back when Castro was still living. And so it's been over. I said a few months. It's been over, over a few months. Castro was living. He says, when Castro took over, he came out with certain edicts. And he says, no more churches. No more churches. That's the best Castro I can do. No more churches. They said, what do you mean? He says, no more churches. You can't build any more churches. You can't build onto a church. No more churches. But you can meet in your homes. His thought was, I'll spread these people out. I'll dilute them so that they'll, they'll go away. It didn't happen. They just began to pile people in their homes. And so he came out with an E. He says, all right, no more than 50. They said, no more than 50. He said, maximum of 50. When you get to 50, you have to go start another one. Seriously? Absolutely. 50. Well, the exact opposite happened of what he wanted. That began to multiply them. So he came back out with another edict, the pastor said. He said, 25. No more than 25. When you get to 25, you have to start another one. And sure enough, God used that to start a church planting Movement in Cuba. And this pastor with tears in his eyes says, God used a communist leader to start a church planting movement in Cuba. I told people before, if I ever get the pastor again, I'm going to, this is when he was living, I was going to get Castro to be my education minister. Because <laughs> it would take a communist leader to get some Sunday school classes to multiply. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
When I asked these pastors, what can I do? Pray for your freedom. You know what they said? Oh, no, no, no. I said, don't. And they said, oh, no. Please do not pray for our freedom. We would rather not have our freedom and see God move than to have our freedom and not see God move. You know, that's the heart of someone who understands whatever it takes. You got one life to live. One life to live. One last story about JM, the Philippines. After he took that shower, um, I was going to put him to bed, and, and so I uh, went over to tuck him in, and he reached up and hugged me really tight. And he's a really tight hugger. Still to the day, he'll almost take your breath away. He's just squeeze you so tight. And uh, he said, I, I love you, Dad. Well, that's the first time I ever heard him say that. And I said, well, I love you too, buddy. Then he did something really awkward. It was, uh, it was really strange. He, he took his hands and he pushed on my cheeks like this. And he just kept looking at me. And I'm thinking, man, I should have listened to the orientation better, you know, or... <laughs> Is this like a Filipino custom? I'm supposed to do it back? I'm trying to think, man, oh, I'm just not catching on, you know. He goes, what's wrong, man? What's, 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 what's wrong, Jim? And he pushed on my cheeks a little bit harder. And I could tell he was wanting me to look him right in the eye. So I looked him right in the eye and I said, what, what's wrong, buddy? And I'll never forget this. He said, I will be a good son for you. I said, well, well, good. I'm going to be a good dad for you. I promise. And he's going to bed. I remember going to bed that night thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, just for him to say that, 12 years old, say that, oh, just cut me down. Next morning, 4 in the morning. His face is right here. It's like, good morning, Dad. I'm like, hey. He said, I'll be a good son for you today. And I said, well, well, good. I want you going back to bed. In case you did not know, bad breath is universal. All right? Bad, 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 bad. But four in the morning, you say, four in the morning? Four in the morning. Did you know in his orphanage, the kids would get up at four o'clock? They would do chores from four to five. They would eat breakfast from five to five thirty, and they'd go to school at six every morning. Benjamin, what time did you get up today? That's what I thought. The problem with America? Sitting right there, all right? I'm just kidding, sort of. But that night, same thing. I'll be a good son for you. Next morning, same thing. Next night, same thing. Till I realize, you know, look, this is not good. He's trying to, he's trying to say... I'm going to be a good boy today so I can be your son tomorrow. I'm going to be a good son for you because he wanted to keep being a part of our family. So we had to sit down and have a little talk real quick. And I said, look, thank you for, for what you're saying, but you don't need to say that anymore. Because you need to understand something. You're a part of our, our forever family. You're always going to be a part of our family. Forever family. Whether you're good or you're bad, we prefer good. But either way, 
You're always going to be a part of our family. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. And in a couple of weeks, he stopped saying it. And even tonight, if you're considering adopting or if you know someone who's adopting, we've adopted three. And they're incredible. They all come very disciplined. Do not let that scare you. It just takes a few weeks being around your biological children. They become just as lazy as they are. All right, it's not a problem. <laughs> they adjust and adapt very fast. But I couldn't help but think that night when I went to bed. I thought, you know, what would it be like if in every church, every believer woke up every morning, went to bed every night saying to our Heavenly Father, I'll be a good son for you. I'll be a good daughter for you. What would happen if we really understood that we exist to be obedient to him, to please him? Tomorrow is not yours, it's His. You're not, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to Him. Oh, there are people who go to other countries. There are people who go to other states. But God may have called you to go across the street or the co-worker or someone you're just about to meet. We're to be on mission. There's an old evangelist, Gypsy Smith, who was asked once, how do you start revival? He said, oh, actually, it's very simple. Simple? Oh, yeah, real simple. All you do if you really want to start a revival is you go into a room all by yourself. All by yourself? All by yourself. And you get a piece of chalk. A piece of chalk. A piece of chalk. Get a piece of chalk, go into a room all by yourself, and then draw a circle on the floor. And then get down on your knees in that circle and pray that God would start a revival in that circle. You see, it really starts with what is it God's doing in your heart? There's a lot of things in this world you can't control. But what you do for him, you can. I want us to bow our heads. And right where you're sitting tonight, I just want you to, to, to pray through. Say, dear God, I want to be singularly focused on what pleases you. My life is full of a lot of things that really doesn't matter. I can often get distracted on things that just aren't that important. But may we focus on having gospel conversations with the people that need Him. Father, I thank you for how you love us, you care for us, you know, you know us by name, you know everything about us and you love us anyway. Father, help us to be faithful to the task. Faithful to the task. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.